Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And you are welcome along to the Thursday edition of The Huddle Breakdown. Uh, James here with my good friend, Alan Morrison from Celtic by numbers. Uh, hello, Alan. We're going to have a look at yesterday's, uh, historic, glorious victory in the champions league. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, for a change, we're going to talk a lot about some positives, which is, which is welcome. Um, and, and I think in fairness, we were in the grand scheme of the mosaic, uh, coming out of Sunday, we were probably on on the optimistic side coming out of that as well but um in fairness but um yeah we're going to take a look at a lot of the positives look at some context broadly which you know not everything's positive there obviously um and then we'll have a look ahead here to uh hearts on the weekend so um alan first thoughts i know we, we haven't had a huge amount of time to dig in when we do these day afters we don't have uh too much time for spreadsheet shagging so um so we get clouded with too much humanity here. Not enough of our, uh, <laughs> our, our, our uh, data. models. Yeah. yeah. Data and models and that boring crap. So what's, what's more of your human in, uh, impression of what happened yeah. yesterday? I actually have to think of something to say as opposed to be driven by all, all the data. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, you know, it t- probably takes me, I, d- I usually, when I capture a game, capture my own data, I do it in two sittings. I'll, I'll probably do the first half one day. In the second half another day and it takes about three hours for each each of those sort of things obviously it's not been time to do that um but you know there there is uh there is uh up to date available through through stats bomb which is sorry through pop mob sorry which is uh is quite is pretty decent to be fair um yeah listen uh you're upbeat definitely really pleased just pleased i think for everybody actually <laughs> uh you know the supporters that 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 uh, it looked like at one point judging by the number of messages i saw on on x about people you know offering tickets for the match i thought there was going to be nobody there but actually it was a pretty uh pretty decent crowd um and so please for them please for the the players please for brendan rogers actually as well uh to be honest with you and it, it was listen one of those things we said you know if, if celtic are going to get anything out of uh any champions league game frankly um because you know we're four teams so we're going to be playing three teams that even if you might argue in the context of the Champions League are not very strong they're, they're incredibly strong in the context of the teams that Celtic habitually have to play in Scotland of course so so you know um and this one in particular again a finer side that I think is 
you know, second in Holland, but PSV are like incredible from all their games, I think, in that league. And, yep. you know, we, we, we matched them, I think, pretty, pretty well. And, you know, we, we could probably got the little bits of luck that you need. And, you know, luck's a huge, makes a huge uh, difference in football, uh, a low scoring score and all that. And you do need to have that. And, and, and when I say luck, I mean, you know, they had 19 shots at goal, eight on target. Um, you know, so uh, Joe Hart made uh, f- uh, six saves. I think one of the saves was by McGregor. Um, you know, so so, so Hart did everything asked of him. So so you know, you know that's that's a lot of a lot of pressure. They dominated the ball, possession, etc. They generated over two xg. We were actually you know two point two seven, I think xg. So it was a bit of a chaotic match in that sense, um, and and we came out on top of it. So listen, that, that's all that's all great. It wasn't like a it wasn't like a sort of um, we absolutely battered them as we would maybe a Ross County or something like that. But then it, it, it was it's never going to be that. It's always good, probably going to be a one goal. And we're probably always going to have to have some element of good fortune uh, fall our way. But that's not, as I say, I don't want to labour the, the good fortune thing because if you actually look at the um, the, uh, the shot XG, so just a reminder, the post-shot XG is the XG of all the shots that, that actually make it on target. Um, and so it's a nice it's a nice stat to use to measure goalkeeping as well. Celtic's post-shot XG was actually 2.64, and Feyenoord's was only 1.04. So although Hart made, uh, you know, six saves, they they weren't actually that many high-quality chances, uh, which is which he, which um, you know is credit to the defence, really, uh, not to give up high-quality chances. So all in all, as I say, chaotic game. We edged it, late goal, uh, and all that, um, and yeah, just really really happy for everybody. <laughs> It was it was one of those games, uh, you know. I, you know, the dual edged sword, right? So it's a, the the dead rubber. Uh, we've been here before. I remember the um, the the pleasant surprise. I think it was the last game in the Europa League in Ange's first season, where we beat Real Betis with kind of a an odd lineup. Um, and and you know, I think that was a nice. That was one of these kind of games too. It was like back and forth, um, but in a more controlled way. Than, than what we talked about coming out of Sunday against Kolmarnik. So th- this was more, you know, two relatively evenly matched teams that were just playing in a way that was, uh, you know, entertaining. And um, yeah, so it was, it was uh, you know, obviously the fact that we won you know, would, would have been not nearly as enjoyable had we not gotten that late goal. Um, it would have been a bit deflating given, you know, it, again, just I'm looking at the match uh stats bomb has a race chart that shows kind of the chances in xg through the game that i know you're familiar with but um we were basically ahead in that virtually the entire game or even to ahead of it from the 10th minute on um until the 85th minute uh you know after they had already tied it and then they had a kind of a decent chance uh one of their better chances i think it was jimenez um that i think that was probably hart's best save uh, it was a bit angled in that, but it was, you know, pretty good. And he's a good striker, obviously. Mm-hmm. So th- that was the first time they kind of went ahead in the, the spreadsheet shagging score score line. And, um, you know, so, yeah, it was it would have been a bit deflating had, had we ended up with a draw. But, yeah, it was it was um, one of those games that was actually enjoyable to watch. Um, and it makes you, I, to yeah, me, it makes me. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, uh, sorry to interrupt. Just the. 
you, you know, I, I think if I was if I was going to be disappointed at something, I think it would be um, when you look at those race charts, or I'm just I'm just looking at the the Fort Mob momentum chart. I, I love these momentum mm -hmm. charts. I think they're quite, and actually they yeah. they, they almost cor they almost correlate exactly with the uh, packing score charts. By the way, just I'll throw that one in. Um, is that um, the 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 basically the, my concern was that Celtic didn't respond well uh, either to taking the lead or or when they equalised, and, and they, they Feyenoord's greatest moments of momentum and pressure were immediately after Celtic scored up to half time, and then immediately after they equalised, almost until the point that Lagerbielt scored the goal. So we didn't we didn't respond well to those to either to going ahead or to being pegged back, and that that would be a little bit of a concern to me that we we were a bit stronger in those moments uh, just after a goal scored. Yeah, and I, that that to me is probably uh, this is I'm just uh, vamping on what you said here. Um, is uh, that that's where I think you get the confluence of athleticism with intensity can create kind of surges, meaning that you know they they um, they seem to respond, and I, I would say on balance they their athletic profile kind of man to man is probably a little better than ours. It's not a shock. Um, so they, you know, particularly in like midfield, I mean, they got some big, fast dudes that play in there that, uh, you know, would would get beyond our players and then just accelerate with the ball, which you know, obviously is not the easiest thing to do in midfield. Um, so yeah, I think I think those those were periods when they kind of took it up a notch or two, kind of like what we saw with Kilmarnock in the second half on on Sunday. Obviously, totally different scale of of player and athlete, but um, so I agree with you. I mean, that, that's. You know, that's one of these latent issues that I think is is probably not going to go away. Um, fortunately, we won't have to deal with it as much um, domestically. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it, and that goes back when I say relatively well matched. I mean, one of the things I, I wrote about when um, we got this group was highlighting how both Lazio and Feyenoord probably overperformed last season. And that perception of how good they were heading into this group were, was probably artificially high um, because of those things. And that, you know, Feyenoord was a pretty weak on a grand in the grand scheme of things, a pretty weak pot one team. Um, but that's, you know, so the good part of that is I think, you know, when, when we were playing 11 v 11 in this group, um, we didn't look out of sorts. I, I thought we, you know, looked right in line with where we should. Um and 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 that leaves the addressable issues of upgrading quality and players. You know, I, again, I think is a, a another positive coming out of the game is um, kind of a reaffirmation of some of the things that we've been talking about during during the group stage here. Um, well, let's talk about some anything else on kind of the high level stuff on on the game um, before we get into some of the individual uh, player performances. Um. I don't, I don't think so. I think I think just to build, just to finish off on that point about reacting to goals, it, you know, we did see that again. We did see that at the weekend against Kilmarnock. We didn't respond well to either of the Kilmarnock goals, actually. So uh, maybe this is just something that uh, I don't know whether it's a mentality thing or, or what. But you normally expect to see Celtic, especially a goal again, is respond in quite an aggressive manner. So I hope something that's being maybe being talked about is in terms of how the team mentally, you know, recalibrate themselves if, if something like that happens. Excuse me. Yep. Yep. So let's let's get into um some of the performances then. I think the 
you know, obviously kind of a, a first thing is, um, you know, for Mitchell frame to make his uh, debut, that's quite a thrill. I would suspect for, I think he's hmm. 17 soon to be 18. I think I saw um, in the not too distant future. So that's, that's something yeah, really, yeah. yeah. So that's something that was really cool. I mean, it wasn't a, I mean, he had a, a, a part to play and, um, the second goal. So that, I think that was really cool. Um, you know, again, just from the, the human side of it, Lager Bilka, I'm sure has been living a certain reality in recent months, given uh, his, his move and, and inability to get into squad and to play and for him to get on and to, to enjoy, um, you know, scoring the winning goal. I think that's really cool too. Um, so those, those are kind of my first, just two human highlights, but from, from a performance perspective, I mean, um, you know, I think you and I have been well above consensus on Stephen Welsh for a long time now. Um, and I, I thought he was outside of one kind of, and this goes back to the old issue of confirmation bias. He certainly had one doozy on the passing side, but outside of that, which yes. fortunately didn't, didn't turn into uh, anything horrible. But um, outside mm-hmm. of that, I, I thought he thought he was quite good in the game. What did you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, again, context has been thrown in, hasn't played since August, didn't expect him to play, to be honest with you, didn't even know he was going to be in the squad. I mean, this is this is kind of supporting Ender's point, which I kind of rebutted really uh, <laughs> earlier in the week, where we're where about, you know, surprising changes, if you like. Uh, like you say, where did Mitchell Frame come from in terms of getting time, throwing Lager Bielka in, etc. Um, so, you know, yeah, that 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 was that, that. There were definitely some some little surprises there. You know, starting a Champions League game with uh, with Russian scales as your centre backs is something. Well, you know, we thought per se, but then it just harks back to you know the times when we started with with Bitton and An other in central defence in the Champions League qualifier, doesn't it? I mean, we have remember you and was it you you and O'Connell. O'Connell or, yeah, O'Connell, you and O'Connell, wasn't it? Yeah. So so listen, what what I will say about Scales and Welsh, and again, listen, I've not watched the game back yet, so I've not really studied, you know, their positioning, decision-making, what have you. I'm just going by the the general performance stats and so forth. And my general view from the game last night, which is that they both did did really well. And and, and they absolutely, uh, I'm sure that will be borne out. But um, I think, you know, again, listen, trying to be balanced, we have to remember, I think what we've seen with scales, and I'm really thinking about going back to Ibrox here, is that he's a defender who probably comes into his own when he's asked to defend, right? You know, have him backed up to the 18-yard line, have him having to deal with box, you know, crosses being chucked in or or what have you. You know, he's 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 a pretty good defender actually, and he does does a pretty good job. The concern is more around, you know, can he play as a ball-playing centre back in an expansive football-playing side when he's at the halfway line for for half the game, more than half the game type of thing. That's that's really the question mark. But I thought, you know. As a, as I say, as a, almost a sort of last ditch defender type of performance, he was absolutely, he was absolutely excellent, uh, and, and I'm really pleased, really pleased for him in that sense. Um, even you know, and Greg Taylor, I thought put in a good shift. Joe Hart, I thought was 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 a bit more than just competent. He he done good as well. So yeah, I thought there were some really good strong defensive, uh, defensive moments there. I think to your point. Um, it looked very easy to me for them to kind of pack pass through our midfield. That it, they seem to be able to do that at pace um, and get through very quickly uh, on, on a number of occasions. Um, now, you know, that, that, again, I think that probably just comes back to the to the 
you know, the sort of um, athleticism deficit that we've talked about. I mean, they essentially had five, well, they had two two sort of pseudo kind of wingers, really, but they, 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 at times they had kind of five in midfield there, and, and we had the sort of more of the three. And, and if and if O'Reilly was pushed up, then it was two. So it just felt a little bit like overpowered in that part of the part of the uh, the field at, at times um but but you know fortunately and, and a lot of those times they did result in shots but as i say i think where the defense did well was just in 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 basically manning the ramparts and, and stopping incursions you know there weren't that as many for all the shots they had there wasn't as many incursions into the, into the really dangerous areas um although Fotmob claims they had five big chances and we had three i'm not the XG doesn't seem to support that so much, but I'll, I'll, I'll have a look at that myself when I when I go through the game. So yeah, listen, defense. I think the defense deserves a lot of credit, um, and it probably suited suited, you know, especially the centre backs. It probably suited their their style of play. Yeah, I, I think in the in the uh, grand scheme of things, that's probably a relative strength of Welsh and Scales is that kind of recovery speed. You know, I don't think either of them are speed demons, but I think they're at least competent in that regard. And I, yeah, we we were I think pretty well organized in that kind of transition recovery and and getting into positions that we needed to. Uh, the one thing I will say is, and this is in honor of our dear friend Enda, who's not with us today, uh, is a shout out to Liam Scales for the dark arts because I think um, you know we, he probably deserves credit for earning that penalty, uh, winding that guy up in the box before uh, <laughs> before he got the. The the, the 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 sickle the whatever that was iron sickle neck grab that he ended up suffering um when that guy lost the plot so uh yeah uh, uh congratulations to, to liam scales for for doing something i you know that's not something uh, that we quantify or, or look at but it has been a, a a criticism that i've heard at times that we, maybe our players haven't been as skilled in the dark arts at times particularly when we play teams like atletico madrid and um you know, some, some of these teams that are a little bit more opportunistic, shall we say, and some of the stuff. Um, so, well, I was, I was stunned. I was stunned. I, did, I didn't, you know, I was watching and going, they give penalties for that? <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I thought at first I thought I, th- I thought he went in for a kiss and and that uh, uh, a, a romantic embrace and that scales pulled away, but um, yeah, it just looked like a drag down. So, yeah, so yeah. so good good on uh, Liam Scales for earning that. Um, yeah, as, as far as the other players, um, you know, I, I'd say uh, obviously Scales tail. I mean, that really the, the defense. I mean, to your point, I mean, I there, there weren't any uh, outside of a couple of close calls um there were no hair raising mistakes um and, and against a team like that when we talk about this relative to domestic versus europe and how, how much more we we pay and suffer when when making those kind of mistakes and it's it's not as if they were impotent relative to the press i mean so i thought we we actually handled their press reasonably well reasonably well right so again it's within mm-hmm. context um and and um yeah, so I, I think the other part of this is, you know, there was some fine margins where, you know, Kyogo was was very close on on a couple of occasions, and and we just didn't quite get them the ball in positions, and you know, I I think that that continues to be a a, a latent issue that we've been dealing with um, and discussing. But um, and any other standouts for you before we maybe get into some of the legacy. Uh, challenging issues why we why we shouldn't get too excited about this obviously 
Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, do you want to go through some of the other players? It's just, I mean, I think, you know, I think McGregor, McGregor was excellent, actually, I thought, uh, throughout the game. I think he, it was one of those games where, um, I don't know, I don't know if you do this, but when I watch a game and then uh, I see who's got the ball and, and I, I almost have like a, a different response depending on who the ball goes to. So, like, you know, yep. O'Reilly gets a ball, and I'm like, oh, thank God for that. You know, maybe somebody, somebody else might get the ball and be like, oh, no, what's going to happen now sort of thing, you know. But it was one of those nights where I just felt every time McGregor got the ball, I kind of felt sort of warm and safe. <laughs> you know, I kind of felt that, oh, that's good. McGregor's got the ball. We'll be fine. He was kind of one of those performances. He just seemed to kind of settle everybody and just play really sensibly and in a very kind of controlled sort of manner. I mean, I know these are all kind of quantitative things I'm talking about uh, there on that but I'm just because I'm I'm, ref- I'm just remembering how I felt when I watched the game as opposed to responding to any of the particular uh, sort of uh, data but yeah that, that that was that was my abiding mem- you know sort of feeling really of his performance and I think on, on the other side of it you know again Palmer was good but again I'm getting I'm getting increasingly frustrated that you know and, and this is where I'm going to sound like a really old school kind of uh non-analytical person is that screaming at clouds again alan (laughs) well this i don't want this to become an easy trope right and there's a risk of that i apologize if it it becomes it i don't want it to but you know you you compare palmer last night full a full celtic park crowd big game big pitch etc big noise and all that sort of thing and you know he does pretty well compared to most abject display in the rain on the plastic at Kilmarnock and you sort of think mate you've got to do it you've got to do it uh like McGregor you've got to do it every week not not just turn up in the games you you know you fancy it and that's an awful and lazy trope that I've applied there but just, I'm just responding to the the ups and downs of his performances I know you're going to get ups and downs of the wingers but it does seem to be that it's feast or famine with him. You know, he's either in the game and he's at it and he's making things happen or you get very little out of him. And then talking of which, you know, dear old Mikey Johnson, that's another start, you know, XG plus XA point point zero seven. Now, this unfortunately is the trend, right? And what we're talking about, again, lazy trope, you know, lack of output, lack of productivity in the final third. He's very good. He's excellent. Give him the ball on the halfway line, a la you know Ryan Kent. He'll take you up the pitch, but then get to the edge of the box. What happens? Right, that's the problem. That's the problem. He needs to. It needs to be. And this actually was a you know Ryan Kent thing as well. Ryan Kent was excellent. Get you up the pitch. And, the, and these these sorts of players do have massive utility in Europe. There is a lot to be said for simply having someone take you forty yards up the pitch. It just yep. relieves the pressure. It allows you your whole team to push up. You can get back into shape. It makes them run backwards and all that, right? It's, it's, it's a really good thing when you're playing against a, a, a better opponent, especially. But if he's one of your three forwards, you know, and it's asking a lot, he's doing that great job of being the ball carrier. But then you've got to do something when you get to the edge of the box. You've got to either create or have a have a, have a credible shot. And and you know, four games now, we're just not just not seeing that. Uh, and I just I do I do wonder I do wonder how long. I think I know we're I know we're in a, I know we're in a in a in a bad place as regards choices on the on the wing at the moment and probably Johnson's the better of the options that are available but um, you know he's, he's he needs he has to start producing he has to start creating you know credible chances and you know having credible shots at goal not 
stupid attempts from out wide that sail over the bar or get blocked immediately and all that kind of stuff. So that that was the that was the kind of slight kind of moan, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. But otherwise, and again, Bernardo, absolute enigma to me. Again, I might I'm hopefully I'm proven wrong, but I don't remember him playing a single forward pass. <laughs> it's just incredible. I don't. I, I, it's, I've never seen a player like that. You know, he's great off the ball. He he's robust. He's athletic. He gets about the field. He gets the ball and it always goes backwards. It's like literally, a, a literally two packing passes all season. I mean, that's that's Joe Hart had more than that against St. Johnson. Joe Hart yep. played about four packing passes against St. Johnson against the Kilmarnock. Sorry, um, so that is astonishing for an attacking, you know, ostensibly an attacking midfielder. So, but but I like yeah. him. I like him. I like it. There's a lot. There's a lot to, I like about him. But but again. He's going to have to produce more in the final third and be more creative, I think. So I, I view um, player-level single-game OBV similar to single-game XG at the team level. You absolutely, know, it's kind of like, absolutely, absolutely. Right, so so it's, it's contextual. Yeah. It can help paint, paint a picture, but take it with a huge grain of salt. Um, but but it, it does oftentimes align with you know your your packing scores and that kind of stuff relative to like pass obv and just so people that are listening or watching that's it, it's it's basically like a possession-based um model that that uh how does each action on the pitch both from a pass defensive dribble and carry shot and then what the goalkeeper goal, goalkeeper's doing, not just shot stopping, but sweeping and coming for claims and pairing the ball. All that stuff gets factored into this one model. And does each action, how does it increase your your chances of scoring a goal? Or conversely, um, the net change relative to the opposition scoring, right? So it's this big um, aggregated model that breaks all this stuff down. So again, single game, very much grain of salt, but it's interesting. So if you look at defensive action, OBV, for example, so that, that basically how impactful were the collective of the actions that various players took to defend Bernardo was 0.26. Now, again, that's, that's prorated to a full game. That's not, you know, just his yeah. amount of minutes on the pitch. So he was very, while he was on, he was very, go ahead. Sorry, James, I was just going to, sorry, just, I was going to say, just to really dumb it down a bit here, because yeah. I'm still getting my head around. 0.26 is high. I just want to yes. say that. Yeah, 0.26 is a high, it's a high number. Yeah. Yeah. The, the highest defensive action person that um, Feynord had was 0.13 for context, right? So th- th- this goes down to, um, you know, and again, actions are not off the ball, but, you know, so again, it's, 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 it's a tool. It's, it's a way to, of, of looking at certain things. Um, so Callum McGregor's was 0.22. Liam Scales was 0.22. And Stephen Welsh was 0.32. Right. So this this goes back to this issue. Now, by definition, um, the way the model works, making a tackle at the the 18 is going to count a lot more in this counting model than a counter press um, at the midway line. Right. Just by by proximity of probability of scoring a goal, you can't score from, you know, normally from 50 yards. Um, so that's going to be, that's going to count less than if you make an action. So we were defending more, um, but within that kind of our own final third, we did a very good job on ball, um, in, in defending. And to your point, so Bernardo was not only good in his kind of normal spatial and movement. Uh, I agree with that. He looked at, but even on ball, but that, but his pass OBV (laughs) was, uh, 
negative 0.12, right? So again, this goes back to this. Really bad. <laughs> well, right. So if you think about it, you know, he completes those safe passes that don't really help us score goals directly. You know, they can part of a, a broader buildup. Um, but, you know, when there was a more aggressive, you either misplace some of those and or when you try to be more adventurous, uh, turn the ball over. And that's how you end up with kind of a negative score, so to speak. Um, so that, that speaks to, you know, just for people watching, that's the kind of thing that we can look at to uh, use statistics to kind of paint a picture as far as what, what's been going on in a game. Um, but it also speaks to, you know, how well are we collectively defended? Because uh, one of the concepts I use analytically is uh, pervasiveness or diffusion, um, meaning that the, you're more robust when you have a bunch of things doing well together. Um, and, and I think that was, you know, kind of reflective. In, the, in, the opposite the opposite of toxic combinations, in other words. Exactly. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um, well, let, let, let's then maybe step back and uh, th- take a look at the broader picture then for, for the campaign. Um, so real quick, I, I did a thread uh, in, in its importance of putting yesterday in the context dead rubber, neither team really having, um, quote unquote, anything to play for. We were both kind of locked into um, European uh, slots. Um, so we've kind of gone through a lot of the positives. So the, the, one of the contextual negatives, and I did a thread on it, um, go, before the game and, and I updated everything, uh, or, you know, I, I had written back in May and just kind of continually that, you know, not doing something at the keeper level would be un- unforgivable relative to our, stated goal of advancing and progressing in Europe or making improvements. And I, I, uh, I take no uh, joy in reporting that uh, Joe Hart ended up with the 32nd out of 32 teams um, in mm. shot stopping in the group stage collectively. And again, he was okay yesterday, right? But he had been so poor in an aggregated basis. Uh, and if you kind of take the overall goalkeeping if you include claims positional errors and all this other stuff pairing and everything else he was he was only eclipsed by one keeper who was worse uh see if you can guess who that might have been alan he's he's made a lot of news in the he's been quite a uh uh an object of derision oh the the, the Manchester united guy yeah, poor Onana. He's had a real rough time of it this season. Um, his, his shot stopping was marginally uh, better than than Hart's, but he he had some really bad uh, overall keeper play above and beyond that. So he he was thirty second in overall um, goalkeeper OBV, and and Hart was was thirty first. So that uh, unfortunately, and that's what I put in my thread. If you look at you know, I, I would argue that outside of and, and obviously, I mean, this is contextual. It's it's counterfactual. It's I, 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 you know, so that caveat ahead of time. But if you looked at when we were playing 11 v 11, you know, because when you're playing in just six games and large portions of two games were with uh, 10, nine and 10 men, that skews things quite a bit. Um, and if you just look at our 11 v 11 minutes, we were right in range of teams like Copenhagen this season, like Bruges last season, Club Bruges, um, even like a couple of other clubs this season that, you know, did okay in the group, still finished third, dropped down in the Europa League. Um, and and really the, 
one of the big changes between who slots in which one of those groups uh, is keeper play. And obviously, when you're talking about just six games, even good keepers, like I, I don't think Onana is one of the worst keepers in the world. You know, he's, he's one of these guys who's probably pretty talented, decent keeper, and it's just not working for him at Manchester United. And he had an awful, um, you know, six games. Um, but th- this was not the first. Like if you slot Hart contextually, his, his time before he got the Celtic and then how he's done in the league and you benchmark that and then how he, how he did in, in Europa last season's Champions League. I like this is not, I would argue, an aberration that this came out of nowhere. Um, so that 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 was an unfortunate validation of of a big risk uh, that you and I have talked about for months, literally on end. And I I think it's the elephant in the room for the group because I even given all of the nightmare that we've dealt with with the transfer window, the injuries, I think if we would have had a competent European level keeper, we very likely could have won uh, the Lazio game that we lost uh, at home. And maybe even you end up with another point somewhere in there. And that, again, that could have been good enough for second in this group, as bad as Lazio is, was, and as kind of mediocre as Feyenoord is within the context of a, a, a first seed, or first pot, I should say. Yeah. Mm, so that's, a good, that's a great a great job. And um, I'm not surprised about that. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that Hart comes out as, as low as that, because I, I I think he, whereas you know, I go back to that. I go back to that opening goal in Rotterdam. I mean, that that just almost it doesn't kill the campaign dead, but it it just set the tone of a competent, organised, sensible performance being undone by a known risk it was just very galling. Um, and and I th- I thought he kind of got a little bit stronger as, as the campaign went on. So. A little bit surprised he's at the bottom there, but you know I, I know your I know your methodology is thorough, so that's that's interesting. And, and like you say, backs up what unfortunately what, what we were saying at the at the beginning. I think it would have been a stretch. I do feel, you know, certainly last year was a, a massively missed opportunity not being able to take uh, you know take you know, be one place higher than Shakhtar. And similarly, I'm I'm feeling the same that we should have been capable of being one one place higher than either Lazio or. Or finer in this uh, in this group, um, even but, with know, the, it, the even it, with all of these issues. With, I mean, that's the crazy part. Even with yeah. all these issues, yeah. I, I just felt, you know, especially in Rome, for example, where again, for eighty minutes, we, whilst not in any shape or form dominating, there was a level of control, a level of comfort in the game, but we never carried enough threat because we had Forest and. And and was it Palmer? I think uh, on the on the wings, etc. And we just never, we just never. And Bernardo, who you know again has got his strengths, bolstering the attacking final third productivity isn't one of them. So you know that's a lot, a lot of you know when you when you don't have a Moy stroke Hitati, when you don't have a Jota, when you don't have an Abada, suddenly that's a huge amount of attacking final third productivity you're taking out of the team. And I, and it, so even though. I did feel, I honestly feel that we were well coached. Our approach was well. I know the football wasn't thrilling, but I, it was sensible. It was pragmatic. It was the right approach for the for the standard of the teams that we were playing. I do feel we could, we we should have deserved to get enough to at least be one place higher. We didn't. That's the way it goes. Champions League football is tough, etc. And people may disagree with that. That's fine. Um, but I, I I was kind of. I suppose satisfied with the way that we approached it, 
But again, there wasn't a single game where you say, okay, this is the best 11 that he could put out and it's and, and we carry a bit of threat here. We're going to score a goal tonight. You know what I mean? Every game it felt like, oh, it's another patch-up job. And well, as long as they work hard and, and keep to plan, they might be okay. We'll stay in the game. And that's pretty much how it was. And then we kind of got on, undone by maybe a little bit of quality later in the game. So yeah, that, that, that's kind of, I don't know, rambling a bit, but that's kind of my thoughts on that really. It was sort of, I think my conclusion would be I just did a, a decent job with a bad hand, I would say. I a hundred percent. And and I think that's uh it's, it's, it's funny how um, mood swings um, in just a couple of days, depending on the. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The two results, <laughs> you know, quite quite the contrast uh, Sunday and then and, and, um, uh, yesterday. Um, so and the, and the relevant a- aftermath. Uh, the, the other thing I'll say is, um, you know, we are hypercritical at times um and we talk about being the best version of ourselves as a, kind of the aspirational goal generally and obviously that's i think the the kind of mindset that we share relative to celtic um but you know there's there's a lot of teams that are pretty mediocre even at the champions league level and when i say that meaning that they're they're not running you know we talk about some of these clubs like alkmaar and you know, Bodo Glimt and Salzburg kind of endlessly um, aspirationally and some of the things that they've been doing. 
um, Atalanta. You know, there's there's been different ones in different ways in in recent years. Um, but you know, in, in any given season, uh, as we saw with Rangers and their run in the Europa League, as you see with Club Rouge or Copenhagen now, I mean, by definition, you're going to have these kind of clubs um, that aren't world beaters that aren't being run in by rocket scientists <laughs> um, that, you know, just because they're reasonably competent uh, or they have a, a talent cycle. Like I, I said that that's kind of the way I viewed fine who have not been one of the more progressively run clubs um, even within the Dutch league. And um, you know, they just have a really good positive uh, talent cycle. Now maybe they've eclipsed some things and innovated and, you know, some of these latent things, maybe they've been upgrading and doing some certain stuff, but there hasn't been a pattern of that in recent history. And they just have a, some really good talent right now. And clubs kind of go through those ebbs and flows of, of talent cycles, even Benfica's and the Portos of the world that have a, a veritable pipeline, it seems, of talent and development. Um, you know, we've seen it with Salzburg kind of go through ebbs and flows with talent and cycles. So I, I, I think that's the hope in all of this is that um, even all of the stuff that we're critical about and um, you know, hope and talk about improvements. Uh, some of these changes can be really material and get us into a point of, you know, and, and I think that's kind of been the de minimis step is to get to a point of relevancy um, where we don't all kind of re- uh, look towards the European campaign and this bifurcated, like delusional uh, dreams of grandeur that are completely displaced from any uh reasonableness versus like just the as soon as reality smacks us in the head after the first game in the champions league we're back into this you know the other extreme of misery and and uh you know hypercritical um so i i that's the thing i i take away from it is you know i I think we're both reasonably skeptical as far as until they prove it um and uh prove some some adeptness in in recruitment but it shouldn't be that difficult to do some of these relatively basic things to get us right into that point of relevancy um mm-hmm. so to me that's the ultimate positivity i mean that you know um we, we've done enough here given what the hand that we were dealt coming out of august that you know um Maybe we're torturing ourselves by having that that sliver of hope, but I, well, I still have it. I mean, I, I mean, let's 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 be brutally honest. If 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 um if I was the chairman or the CEO, and I'm and I'm and I'm marking the end of year scorecard, uh, we failed, right? The goal was yep. to be playing some form of European ball after the new year, and we failed. So as far as I'm concerned, that, at the corporate level, the club failed. Okay, the football operation has failed to achieve a target. Right. What, what I would then say is, you know, well, why did you fail? Um, well, I, personally, if you'd given me um, an equivalently equivalent squad to what Ange had last year, I would have expected to achieve that goal. But we clearly didn't have a squad that's e- as equivalently strong as we had last year. And that's the reason. That's, the, that's what it comes down to. That's the reason. I think the, uh, uh, but also more subtly, if you had to pick on one self-inflicted thing, it would it would be the goalkeeper. Yeah, it would be the goalkeeper. So yeah, yeah. we failed, but there's but there's good reasons why we failed, which I think are are acceptable if you like, if you know what I mean. And <clears throat> and, and in the grand scheme of the modern industry, should yeah. be relatively low hanging fruit to make 
huge improvements on. Like it shouldn't be this difficult to go from, you know, dr- relatively dreadful recruiting to even mediocre recruiting. <laughs> like, like I would argue we were under Ange um, for, for, you know, different reasons, but, you know, a level of, of competency and even coherence that's reaches kind of minimum levels of, of um, mediocrity would be a significant improvement. And again, I think that would have been put us right in there. And now the, the other, the, the flip side of this is next year, you know, let's assume hopefully we win the league and even with the new um, champions league for next season, we, we may get a, you know, a horrible draw and do everything right or even improve on a lot of this stuff oh, yeah. and, and end up failing on the KPIs. And luck plays its right. part. Yeah. Luck plays its part. Yeah. 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 Such, such is the torture of life. Um, well, let, let's, uh, stick a pin in, in that then. And let's do a couple of minutes here, just looking ahead to uh, hearts on the weekend, just to kind of set the stage. Um, you had referenced coming out of the, for, for context in that defeat to uh, Komarnik. Komarnik is actually um, third in uh, non-penalty XG difference in the league so far this season, which again, I think is a, a, a credit to them. Um, and uh, they're the, only other team outside of Rangers and South. It's modest, but I will give them credit. They're the only other one that has a positive non-penalty XG differential. Yes, and uh, Hart, Hart, Hearts and are, are fourth kind of clustered with Aberdeen. And then you go down to, to Hibbs and Dundee. Um, so, so James, just different different models, different results. Bot Mob actually has Hearts terrible, like, um, like a 0.49 negative XG difference. And that, that would basically... Yep. They're on a par, on a par with Motherwell, <laughs> and yep. and uh, worse than worse than nearly as bad as Ross County actually. So so, so this so this fought, is part. Fortmore Wopta does not like Hearts at all. Yeah, and and I think part of that I, I'd be interested in what the disaggregation on that between um, for and against is um, is uh, that's where I think Statsbomb's model relative to non. Celtic Rangers teams are vital because of the amount of chances that are aerial and their model accounting for the where the ball is basically. Uh, was it actually a decent header chance or was it, you know, the guy flailing and it just glanced off of him and it, it's assigned, you know, a, a, a relatively um, inaccurate uh, probability. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I, I think um, now I'll, I'll, I'll filter this. You ready for this magic filter? And I'm going to go for the away filter. So we're just going to look at because uh, I, I do think that that's something that um, hi- historically, um, yeah, it's not too much this year, but they're 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 uh, they're still third in in away this year. So that that's in prior seasons, it's been more skewed for them. Uh, so some some live analysis here on the huddle breakdown. Um, Whereas at Tyne Castle, historically, they've been a little bit more skewed positive and then on the road negative. So that's interesting, actually. They're, they're almost in line home and away this season. Um, so what one would think, uh, and at this our, our away net penalty XG difference is only about one, which, you know, again, that's you and I have been harping on about that forever now, that that's gets you firmly in the uh, – the, the Tom Cruise Maverick danger zone highway to the danger zone uh, in dropping points. So that that's validated by, by looking at that, but fortunately we're at home. So, you know, generally speaking, the way hearts have been playing and um, the way we've been playing would be optimistic, but I, the, the again, this is going to be a litmus test. I think, 
given coming out of this relatively feel-good uh, performance and result yesterday. Uh, this really should be a game that we handle pretty comfortably, in my ju- my judgment anyway. What, what's your view? Yeah, I mean, I th- Hearts, again, I'm, you're looking at stats, but I'm looking at Opta. They've got the biggest differential between actual goals conceded and expected goals conceded, meaning they've not conceded that many goals, but they expect that they, they should have conceded an awful lot more. It's almost like 0.5 per game. Yep. Um, which, which means that, you know, there might be some that maybe not quite as defending as well as it could mean many things, right? It could be poor, poor finishing, good luck. Um, the goalkeeper maybe having some some good performances, etc. So it could be all those things, um, but but you know, in in general, that 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 trend won't last. What generally won't last forever. You'd expect them to if if, if they keep considering that amount of xG of over one point, you know, the one point six a game, you, you're going to expect them to concede some goals at, at some point if that if that carries on. So, so listen, I mean, you know, I, I do think they are a team that seem to be performing uh, well below the the, the sum of the parts. Meaning, you know, they've got you know a, a, a fairly solid set of decent players, and you know, I don't think they're performing as well as as uh, as, as, as that group would, would would be. Even even the much vaunted Shankland, you know, he's I know he's got seven goals in the league this season. Probably a few of those are penalties. <laughs> Haha. Um, <clears throat> you know, his XG is I think five point eight nine, and he scored seven, etc. You know, he's not he's not getting as many chances. Boyce. Doesn't seem to be the same player he was uh, post, you know, post his ligament injury. Ligament injury. And he's yep. getting, and he's getting into his mid thirties. In any case, the midfield is incredibly one paced. It's a very sort of pedestrian midfield. You know, whether it's you know, I know Devlin's not been playing much, but Neuen, Neuendorf, I think it is, um, that plays in there. Uh, uh, you know, and 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 out wide. They, 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 again, they're struggling for consistency. Whether it's Forrest, whether it's Lowry, whether it's Spargas, whether it's Oda, you know, it's a revolving cavalcade of a bit like Celtic actually at the moment. A revolving cavalcade of wingers, wide, wide forwards that they can't seem to kind of settle on and get a, get a consistent tune out of. So, um, you know, if you look at Hearts this season in all competitions, they've won as many as they've lost, really, um, and, and, and that probably isn't good enough. Given their budget and, and the players that they've got, so I think I think they're an underperforming team, uh, and, I, and I'll say the same thing as I said before the Hibs home game, which is I'm much less worried about this than I was about the Kamarnik game, <laughs> and I'm sure that could slap me in the face, of course. But uh, generally speaking, you know, we're at home again; it makes a huge difference, I think. And uh, as I say, I just and I, I, I think under Naismith, I, I predict they will continue to be an underperforming team, frankly. Yeah, this is a class. I agree with everything you just said there, particularly the comparison with um, Kamarnik away. And that, this, this is where if um, a, a, a team of hearts level w- comes in and, you know, kind of plays a hybrid of, uh, as we called it, the St. Mirren model last season, that's when I start to get a little more nervous. Um, if, if they look to optimize and being really defensive and, and you know, basically rely on a, a couple of uh, uh, counterattack high ball or uh, set piece kind of chances to, and really go out setting to play for a nil nil draw. That's, that's the kind of situation that makes me um, more nervous as far as dropping points. But I, I suspect that's, I, I think, I, you know, just based off of how they've played so far this season and what I've seen from um, the manager, it's more likely to be a, a Hibs model <laughs> that we just saw. Uh, and I'm hoping for that. Cause again, it makes the game more entertaining. 
Um, as you had said, I mean, that, their, their midfield's not something, particularly if they're going to be a little bit more expansive. And it doesn't even have to be crazy expansive. It's, you know, um, somewhat expansive. Create that space where we can capitalize on it. Um, so, yeah, let, let, let's let's hope so. Um, and then we, I think we have a week off then. I don't think there's a midweek game. And then we get into the, the avalanche of the crush around the festive uh, period, which um, – we we will we will probably be back at least once a week. We'll see maybe twice a week, depending on how schedules align. I know Alan and Ender are big partiers around the Christmas and New Year's period. Uh, I, I don't think I, I still don't think. Yeah, I, I, I'm st- I'm still recovering from the hogmanay I spent in uh, in uh, Scotland from uh, 2020 into tw- uh, I'm sorry 2000 into 2001 when I was a young man. Uh, I'm still recovering from that experience. So. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll so, make sure we're present. Yep. Go ahead. Sorry, just to finish off, Jane, cause you know, I, I don't normally do this, but, um, you know, part, apparently this is my blog, uh, my podcast. So I feel like it is my platform to say something. So, um, but no, what, what I want to get to is you, you, you put out a really, really, um, excellent actually, uh, tweet today. In you relation- sound surprised. You're, you're, you're flattering me with faint praise. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm mentioning it because it's such a obviously a momentous occasion, <laughs> and and um, you know check it out. Uh, J- James's tweet is uh, in relation to Graham Spears putting on his um, Patreon site free for everybody the the, the ramblings of, of a certain individual. I'm not even I'm not even going to name actually. Um, uh, all related to the to Spears podcast that I was on talking about. Uh, you know, refereeing uh, bias in Scottish football. Now, so what, what I w- would like to say for myself is um, having read what was on that site, um, which I hadn't been aware of until it went up because the individual concerned is somebody I have blocked, right? So um, I don't like blocking people um, and I used to take a very kind of laissez-faire attitude towards it. Um, but, you know, as, as you're, you know, as you're kind of, reach does grow and you get more followers and so forth more that kind of slightly naive view that i had kind of has to is shown to be unrealistic so um you know but i've got some pretty pretty um easy rules that i follow around these things so you know if you're if you're racist if you're sectarian if you're sexist if you weaponize uh, child abuse if you abuse anybody on my timeline uh, it's an instant block and there's no second chance and that's it um, I, I don't mind debate. I don't mind people disagreeing with me as long as you keep it in good faith. If you're in bad faith, I'll probably mute you and I'll probably unmute you at some point in, in the future. That, that's my basic rules. That's it. This individual I, I've had blocked for some time. I suspect it, it, for, for many of the reasons that I've just outlined. Um, in the in the post that's up on Graham Spears' site, which I don't encourage you to, to read, um, it appears to me, and this is how I feel, that uh, I was threatened in that post uh, and that's clearly unacceptable um graham spears i've spoken to him about this uh, he won't take it down um so th- th- this is where we are so listen i'm i'm happy to debate all the points raised on that podcast in good faith uh with sensible people with serious people not with internet fucking lunatics so that's really my <laughs> position on that and, I'm, and I've, that's what i've said to graham um, I'm happy to come back on a show if he's got you know, proper people to actually uh, debate debate with. Now, the reason I mentioned all of this um, is because actually the most sensible and challenging uh, comment that I've received on all of this was from from 
my good friend James here. So I wanted to give James the opportunity really to, to make some points about the approach, what he heard, what and what I've done. And bear in mind, I've not, I, and this is on me, I've not, I, I've not yet written down my analysis and my methodology and all that, right? And I, that's on me and I will do that. Um, the reason that I haven't done that yet is because I'm, I'm cogitating about where to put that, but I will do it. I promise you all that that will happen. But anyway, listen, James is familiar with some of this stuff, but I wanted to give you the chance, James, because you actually came up with some of the best sort of challenging comments about it all. Uh, so I wanted to, only fair that you got a chance to kind of air those. Yeah, so th these are not necessary, these are inherent. So my comment was relative to what was written on Spears's Patreon in, you know, I, I, I had a, uh, you know, I, I have, several not even several a number of um smart typically you know analytically inclined ranger supporters that i have twitter relationships with that i dm with um and uh you know is what they're, they're outnumbered by the way before i have my blue shirt my daughter goes to the university of pittsburgh by the way so that's why i have my blue shirt on um so uh you know they're vastly outnumbered by my my friends and connections with Celtic, but, um, you know, so I, I, I had some, you know, interactions this morning, um, about some of this, which kind of kicked me off that made me, um, respond the way I did. Cause I went to the Spears's Patreon to read it. And, the, and the, one of the comments I, I made to, um, one of these people is that, you know, if, it's going to have to remember, I'm, I'm, I come from this background professionally. And if I had somebody, offer this level of analysis up independent of the content to me. I mean, I, if they were looking for a job, I either wouldn't hire them or for, if that work product was given to me, I, <laughs> they wouldn't be around very long. Um, and it, it's more, it's again, for independent of the topic. It was just, you know, foul, logical fallacies and ad hominem and kind of just sporadic all over the place. Um, and and a, a lot of techniques that are used to, um, and I'm not above this at times I've done it in the past, you know, there's always the argument of doing the greater good, that kind of thing, but r persuasive writing rather than analytical writing. Uh, and, you know, having done this for as long as I can reasonably adept at identifying the difference. Um, so I, my, my response was more so like, if you were going to have a good faith, third party objective criticism, or, or at least an angle of criticism, uh, it would be about things like sample size, meaning that we're we're, we're dealing with a time frame here that's, you know, um, not huge. I mean, I think it's, it, it, you know, and let's go back to basic statistics, you know, fun things like p-value and error bars and, um, you know, uh, confidence intervals, that kind of stuff. Um, so by definition, the, the smaller your 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 sample size. You know, you, you want as big as possible. And he weaponized that. So this is a good example, right? So you can take things that are a reasonable analytical concept. And what I would argue he did is weaponize that incoherently, meaning that you laid out a very cogent, logical explanation as to why you came up. It wasn't an arbitrary endpoint, which is another huge analytical faux pas. You know, people do with chart crimes and all these other things that they do when they're writing persuasively. Uh, as opposed to kind of, you know, um, good faith uh, strides at, at uh, objectivity. Um, so you, I thought your 
explanation and why you selected the time frame that you did. It's all about incentives. It's all, and it was all coherent, all made sense to me. You can disagree with it, but that's, that's the debate to have is why, why would you say that this is illogical or doesn't make sense or is unfair, right? That's, I think, a fair playground, right? That's if you're going to have a, an honest intellectual debate and discussion, okay, then you do it on those grounds. You don't weaponize something and misapply. So that's what I saw in what was done on, on the Patreon. Um, so I, I think it's reasonable. And then within that context, if you take that, that timeline and the incentive structure that you lay out is reasonable, okay, well then what are the methodologies? And, and I think that a reasonable criticism would be, okay, Sample size isn't large enough. What does the large enough mean? Again, that's where you get into subjectivity. Um, but but that's combated by, you know, when you have multiple signals. This is this is extracting signal from noise and patterns, right? Um, uh, but that also in- introduces a second potential pathway of criticism would be, and it, this is a a constant issue of people that live in analytics. This is a big problem with machine learning that's going on. Uh, I see it in financial markets all the time that's, that are increasingly controlled, I would argue manipulated by quants, is um, the flaw of correlation versus causation. And um, correlations are not stable through time necessarily. And uh, even ones that have a, lot, a seemingly logical relationship, that may not be actual causation. It may be correlation. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that that's the case in this circumstance. I'm saying that that is an inherent, by definition, risk of doing any kind of statistical analysis. And if someone's going to have a good faith criticism of the type of analysis that you're putting out, that would would be a pathway that someone could do serious work, serious breakdown and say, this is a serious argument that contradicts what you've put forth. So that, that's kind of what I was saying, it, it, because I haven't done that work yet. So as we talked about before we went live, I'm getting sucked into this abyss. I've been wanting to stay out of it, um, <laughs> but, 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 but I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of um, uh, digging for myself here because now my curiosity is really peaked. And with our friendship and relationship, I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to put some time into this. Um, yeah, one so of, one, sorry, James. One, yeah, one, yeah. Just for people's benefit, one of the one of the things um, that came up actually, which I agree with. Uh, it, it, again, on the on the Patreon, it was it was misrepresented. It ignored the fact that I'd explained it extensively on my site, and, and all that good faith stuff just wasn't wasn't present. But never mind. Well, listen. So the, one of the one of the I don't want to get too much in the detail, but just one point, just to to make clear to people that. You know, we're trying to do this. It's never going to be objective in the sense of I'm a Celtic fan. James is a Celtic fan, um, but the idea is to make it robust enough that somebody who is objective would at least say, "Yep, I agree with your methodology. It makes sense what you're trying to do. Your assumptions are reasonable. Your sample size is reasonable. Your scope is reasonable, and the way that you've applied it and you've come to logical conclusions. That's what I'm aiming for, right?" accepting I'm a Celtic fan. So, so it does mean trying to sort of think outside of that framework. So anyway, one of the things was part of the framework that I use in terms of what is the impact of, uh, of a decision is around red cards. Now, um, I, what I use at the moment, it, it, and I've said this multiple times, I've said it on my site, uh, I've said it in, the, uh, in my framework document that explains what the methodology is. I've been very open about it, I think. It is a very, very blunt instrument. 
right? It basically, if I based it on an article which I've linked to, you can it's public, um, which worked out I think in the English Premier League maybe that if you have a player sent off for the home side, it reduces the number of points they get on average by about 0.86. And if somebody gets sent off for the away side, it's around, on average, it's about 0.36 or something like that. Anyway, um, what it doesn't do, it doesn't take any account of at what stage of the match it is. It's an average. So, you know, if you get sent off in the first minute versus the 90th, clearly that's going to have a much, much different effect. And um, so I've been using this blunt instrument openly uh being very open about it and and and, but i accept that for red cards that may well uh, skew because they don't happen that often right so it's quite it's quite a small sample size to this point so my commitment is and one of the things james is going to work on with me is to try and smooth that out a little bit and say right okay can we apply a more sensible expected points number if a red card happens in the 30th minute versus the 78th minute Right. And I think that will help to just improve the data set in that regard. Uh, both it will improve both the Yorkshire Whistler analysis and the impact of the calls that he decides are right or wrong. And it'll improve the quality of the impact analysis that I've done into red cards and penalties that have happened. So not analyzing decisions, but just saying there was a penalty awarded here. Given the time in the game state, what was the impact? The that the penalty bit I'm comfortable with, the red card bit I'm not is comfortable with so I'm happy to kind of almost imp- try and improve that to make the quality of the analysis better and to address one of the points that James is raising here. Yeah, and I, I think the other part, um, so the, the other thing to, um, and it, this goes back to, again, the piece that was written on the Patreon, uh, Graham's Patreon, is, um, you know, some some of these logical fallacies were period. I mean, you, there are issues with expected points models. There's no question about that. As I, as I said repeatedly on the show and, you know, any of the people in real life that are unfortunately subjected to spending time with me talking about these things is, um, you know, all models are wrong. All models are bad. Some are more useful than others. Um, this is why I talk endlessly about it's not about data and stats. It's about analytics and and a competency to use these things in a productive way. You know, one one of the things that, and again, I, I'm not being critical of of Graham Spears. Uh, it's not his domain, but you know, people throw around terms like science and don't really apply it correctly. I mean, it, it, science is about the scientific method. It's about a method of inquiry and challenge and creating a structure and a system in order to try and save us from ourselves because we're all these inherently biased, irrational maniacs, uh, mammals running around on the planet. Um, uh, so that's basically what a robust analytical framework is. It's a cousin of the scientific method, um, in, in something like, you know, sports analysis. Um, and you know, so that, that's, I'll, I'll um, you know, th- I mentioned something like weaponizing something. I don't mean that in a sense of, he may not it's, people don't even realize they're doing it at times because again that maybe they're not trained maybe they're not sophisticated or maybe they are and they know what they're doing like so it's the, you can't really know um but you know being coherent and and objective is is not easy that's why we have to kind of build these processes and it, it's a domain in and of itself um being self-critical testing challenging um knowing that models are not perfect and that I, I said down before we live, it's about being uh, as as accurate as you can be, 
but precision is an unrealistic objective in, in the vast majority of these endeavors. Um, and, and so that, that's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a little bit of time in to, to try and assist, um, Alan with what he's doing. And, um, and again, I, I, part of it is, um, I I've seen enough with what Alan has been doing because Alan probably the first to say, I've been relatively skeptical on some of this stuff at times, uh, particularly when he started it up, I was like, I wouldn't spend my time on this fight, basically. Um, and and long game, I, James. I do, long game. And now <laughs> I know, and and I, I I think that that's uh, I've seen enough now where it's okay. These some of this is interesting, um, and it's caused me enough to want to delve in, and not not because I think. And this is the other part of this is I, I think, as uh, someone who spent this amount of time speaking with Alan over the last few years, I, I view this as very much a, not only good faith, obviously it's coming from a Celtic perspective and, and an Alan Morrison bias perspective that we all have our, our own self, obviously. Um, but I think Alan does care about Scottish football broadly and Celtics place within that. But um, that, you know, some of these issues about quality and transparency and culture, it's not just about, bias relative to a, a hypothetical some people would argue uh bias towards uh one club um so it, it's about all of these things and um if there's something potentially problematic in this regard it, it, it would be like having this kind of outlier that could be a symptom of match fixing which we've seen all over the, the sporting world and particularly European football. And I'm not suggesting anything like that in Scotland. I'm just saying like, if you had statistical evidence of what was ended up going on with Barcelona, um, why wouldn't you kind of pursue this? I mean, it's, you know, if, if you're, if you care about um, integrity of the, of the game and, and improving certain aspects of it. So that's, that's how I view what you've been doing. Um because and James, sorry, frankly, just other, sorry, so just one other thing as yeah. well is that um, people mis- misunderstand as well because they, they they just immediately default to think that you're this is something to do with football rivalry. This actually this is all about holding the SFA to account. It's about the SFA. It's about the SFA and the way that they manage the service provision of refereeing and it's about holding power to account in that regard it's got nothing to nothing to do there happens to be another another rival and that does all add into the sort of you know the cultural brew if you like but the the actual objective is about holding power to account to your point it's not about um directly about football rivalry even <clears throat> yeah and, and that's um that's how i i've kind of viewed it and, I, and this you know, again, I joked with somebody that this is like throwing a, this whole topic is like throwing a grenade into a tribal stew um, just because, you know, it, it, it's so, um, so easily to, to do it properly. It, it requires a fairly extensive amount of analysis and good faith. And by doing that, when you bring a lot to the table, it's easy to take this, that, and the other thing and reconstruct it all around. And because you're not dealing in certainties and you're looking for, you know, potential signals that cr- create more room for inquiry, that kind of thing. But the, the last thing I'll say, and then we'll, we'll close up shop here, um, is I, I, I've never heard any of this being um, to kind of support what you just said, Alan. It's never been through the lens of sour grapes or, you know, this is the reason why we lost 10 in a row, uh, any of that kind of nonsense. 
Like it's, it's mostly been within the context of, you know, what, what objectively on a domestic basis has been a huge run of success for Celtic. Um, but there's still these weird things of that we're seeing in the data uh, and speaks to some of these issues that, you know, again, I, I don't think anyone would uh, or very few people would um, declare that the quality of what's going on relative to refereeing is at an elite level. Uh, so again, back to this concept of the best version of ourselves and striving towards that, um, you know, that that's how we're trying to use some of these uh, tools and, and really the um, what, what expertise we do have in the field of analytics um, to try and push the ball forward on that. So with that, I, did you want to, did you have any final? No, nope. no, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Okay, good. Yeah, well, uh, we've been off Twitter for an hour, hour and 15 minutes here. So who knows what's been going on? Um, Or X, as we should say. But uh, for those that have hung in, we appreciate it. Um, We'll be back probably with Enda at some point next week to uh, take a look at the um, and review the hearts game. Um, If you can subscribe to YouTube, uh, we'd appreciate that. That helps the channel. And uh, if you can leave a review on uh, your podcast platform of, of preference, whether it's iTunes or Spotify, we'd appreciate that as well. Um, and we will talk to you next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.